Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccans. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Today, we're embarking on a two-part episode, one that travels across time and space from the ancient Middle East all the way to the modern day. Uh, let's let's start this way without too much uh, too much introduction. What is the difference between an assassination and a murder? Well, here are the facts. We all kind of know what an assassin is, right? Yes, at least to an extent. We know that an assassin is a murderer, right? In order to assassinate something or someone, you have to murder it or kill it. Right. Uh, Whereas a a typical murderer that is out there uh, might commit homicide, which is taking the life of another human being for any number of reasons. And we have laws on the books to differentiate between those types of homicides and degrees. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. There's the, and weirdly enough, uh, just from a, a linguistic standpoint, the coolest sounding one, manslaughter, is actually less the egregious yeah, exactly. yeah, than man uh, than murder in the first degree. Or it's something. like, whoops, I hit you with my car. That's mm-hmm. manslaughter, right? Mm-hmm. It's a little yeah. sexist, an outdated he, yeah. term, by the way. See, I just want to say. Put that Hu- human death. Yes. You caused human death. That's good, Matt. So it, it appears that uh, assassination is a genre of homicide. And, and that's correct. But why is it a genre? Well, an assassin is defined by their target, their tactics, and their motivations. So... If we, it's interesting because recently, earlier this year, there was a huge hubbub in Western media about the use of a word, the word being assassination or assassin. Webster's New World College Dictionary, which NPR uses for their editorial purposes as their kind of guide for how to write reporting, uh, they define an assassin as someone who murders a politically important or prominent person typically by a surprise attack, usually for some sort of payment or in the service of some sort of ideological belief. And this is this this sounds cold when we look at it this way, because that means that, let's say someone knocks over a gas station in a robbery, they fatally shoot a cashier. That makes that criminal a murderer but not an assassin. An assassin would be someone who fatally attacks the president of a country. Unless, of course, they somehow, I'm laughing, this is ridiculous. Unless, of course, they somehow accidentally kill the president, which, oh. is, which is terrible. Manslaughter, yeah. By like accidentally giving them coronavirus, maybe? Maybe, yeah. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I mean, that person's definitely in for a good talking to, a stiff fine, perhaps, but, you know, is that going to be considered an assassination? Well, I don't know, right? Maybe if it was premeditated, that's certainly one of the factors. But my question for you too, Ben, is like, what if, say, someone was paid to kill a prominent podcaster? At what point do you go into the realm of, like, being politically important enough to be assassinated versus just oft you know or, or have a hit put out on you don't don't worry dude we're off the table for assassinations are you sure it, yeah because it keeps me up nights we I we just, cannot be assassinated murdered certainly <laughs> okay right cool. we can <laughs> i uh, feel better now stabbed or shot yeah that's interesting because it, it, to a degree our definition of what counts as an assassination is uh it's something we arrive at retroactively right but if you For instance, someone who may not be seen as prominent may be murdered, and their death may set off a series of events that changes the world, and later historians will say it was an assassination for that reason. Like Archduke Franz Ferdinand, right? Yeah, well, he's already an assassination-worthy victim, right? Mm Because he's an archduke, right? Right. You see, the question gets complex. Like, the most... Uh, one of the weirdest uh, examples of this that I could think of was the story of the biblical Cain and Abel. Was Ooh. Cain just a murderer or was he an assassin before the term existed? I mean, it checks the boxes. He launched a surprise attack yeah. on a politically and socially important person, and he did it because he was driven by zealous beliefs. It was his brother, though, right? Wasn't mm-hmm. it his jealousy, though? Because his father like liked the other brother better. 
I, I get what you're, I think, I think this is what you're doing. You're, you're using this as like almost like a microcosmic uh, mini story that sort of encapsulates the larger thing because it was political because he was favored by his father. Therefore it was motivated because he wanted to be the, 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 the favorite son. Yeah. And, and the twist with that is, with such a small cast of characters yeah. in that story, everybody is prominent and politically mm-hmm. and socially important. No, that's, that's, that's really smart, Ben. I like that. And then in the end, uh, uh, Cain was uh, was condemned by God and forced to walk the earth like another Cain from Kung Fu. It just made me realize maybe that's where that came from. Mm. <laughs> maybe that's where it came from. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> this. Okay, so. This murder versus assassination thing, it might seem like it's a game of semantics. Like it doesn't really make a big difference. Calling something an assassination versus calling it a murder definitely doesn't bring that person back from the dead. But the difference, as we'll find, is huge and it's crucial. In some cases, it has legal implications. Like earlier this year, the United States of America targeted a prominent Iranian general, Qasem Soleimani, uh, in January, and news organizations like NPR, Fox, CNN, all, all the hits, they were, uh, they were really concerned about how they should describe this. And, and that's because murder has a legal implication, as does assassination. Well, it's like the, the, maybe the military jargon would be eliminating a high-level target or something along those lines. But the idea of calling it assassination is a bad look, you know, PR-wise. It's like the, that's where the semantics do matter for the optics of this. We don't assassinate people. We take out targets. Well, yeah, exactly. Because when NPR actually labeled this action an assassination, it became a big deal. Um, and there was a lot of outcry from audience members about just, again, the semantics of it. This was not an assassination. Uh, no, you can't call it that. Don't, don't call it that. We're the good guys. Good guys yeah, of course. don't attack with daggers and drones in the dark. But I guarantee you the people in Suleimani's own country sh- sure as hell considered it an assassination, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's weird because this strategy, if we just objectively look at the strategy, it doesn't matter what you call it, it matters what happened. And this strategy of assassination is familiar to cultures across the planet, throughout the ages. I, I mean, just from like, from John Wilkes Booth, that's a famous U.S.-based assassin, right? He assassinated then-President Abraham Lincoln. From that guy all the way back to the ancient days with people like Lacusta the Poisoner, you don't have to look very far or very deep to find historical records of assassins. There's a book, I guess I'll just hold it up, we'll do a little uh, a disturbing reading rainbow here. I don't know uh, if you guys <laughs> can see this. There's Is a that book. a Caravaggio on the cover? I love that image. Let's see, is it? Yeah. I think it is. But either way, it's one of those classic, like it looks like the cover of a Joy Division album. It's like this person dead in a bath with their arm kind of draped over the side. That classic, I believe it's Impressionist, but it's, you know, Caravaggio would be a great example. Really high definition, super moody and and very kind of uh, eerie image. I love those types of uh, paintings. That's right. The Encyclopedia of Assassinations, available at any arcane bookstore near you. Right. By Carl Sificus. This explores both attempted and successful assassinations throughout human history. And interestingly enough, 
It lists uh, several cases, such as that of Dag Hammerskold. Mm. What it a name, that, by the way. Yeah, it's a cool name. Uh, it lists that case as an assassination, but that still has not been officially confirmed as such, even though the U.S. president at the time. Dag Hammerskold was in charge of the U.N. when he was uh, when he died in a mysterious uh, airplane accident. Exactly. We have an old YouTube video on that. Uh, but the the point is this this book is pretty old uh but these cases of assassination because of the controversy they remain very touchy subjects for a long long time and so today in the in the first part of our series we wanted to ask where did this come from where where does the concept of an assassin actually originate we'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. 
Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Here's where it gets crazy. Assassin isn't some dramatic, exotic word some hack writer invented to just sort of juz up uh, an otherwise depressing murder story. That's it's right. Fact, it's IP yeah. from Ubisoft. It's IP from Ubisoft, right. <laughs> in fact, the term assassin refers to an all-too-real, all-too-conspiratorial organization from ancient history. It's an honest-to-God secret society. Uh, let's call it the Order of Assassins. Ooh. Oh my God. Wait, you're saying it's real. That's what we're saying. The Order yeah. of Assassins is real. Or was. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not saying, you know, we're not saying Assassin's Creed should be considered um, a playable documentary, although there's oh, okay. a lot of great historical research in there. Uh, we're, we're saying there was a real group. We don't know a ton about them. This is something that uh, you'll always run into when you're looking at controversial institutions in ancient history. The fortress of the assassins, and they did have a real fortress, was conquered in 1256 CE. And when they were conquered, they, the the castle was razed, essentially. A, their library was destroyed. So we have no written historical records about the assassins from the assassins themselves. Still, we do know some things. That's right. Between 1090 and 1275, a small Nizari Ismaili sect high in the mountains of Persia and Syria went into the uh, murder for hire business. Um, the assassins were an offshoot of the Ismaili sect of Shia Islam, and it was founded by Hassan e Sabah, who referred to his followers as, uh, I'm going to, oh, okay, Assassiyun. A-S-A-S-I-Y-Y-U-N with some uh, underscore characters over the A and the U. Uh, and that means people who are faithful to the foundation uh, of faith. Um, and they were, uh, they had this stronghold fortress called Alamut Castle that was about 130 miles from uh, what is today known as Tehran. Wow. I mean, it's just so cool it's to cool. me that, that that's <laughs> real. Um so the concept here of this group, they wanted to challenge the Seljuk Turks who were Sunni Muslims. So we're, we're talking about Shia and Sunni conflicts back in, what did we say? The uh, 1090 CE to 1275 CE. Um, the, the Sunni Muslims, these Seljuk Turks, they were in control of Persia at this time when, when this group was organized for these purposes. And this is when the group first became known as the Hashashin, another cool uh, word here. But today they're better known as 
assassins. It's it's a term that was given to them by the European crusaders who were rolling through and, you know, doing their thing. Those okay, crusaders. Wait, Europe, Europeans just making language work for them, you know? Yeah, just a kind of a, a corruption of the phrase, right? But that's what you get with the living language. This group known as the assassins, they actively and covertly murdered first Muslim, then later Christian leaders throughout the Middle East. And they murdered these folks or assassinated these folks uh, when they were seen as a threat to this sect, to their society, to their geopolitical control. And while the term assassins applies to the whole crew, right? Uh, there was actually only a, a, a smaller inner group known as the Fidei that engaged in actual conflict in what is sometimes euphemistically referred to as direct action. This is important. Now, we, have, we do have to say that none of us are fluent Arabic speakers, so thank you in advance with, uh, for your understanding of our pronunciations. Uh, we, we do know that the Nazari did not have a standing army. So they relied upon these warriors, these operatives, to carry out espionage. Why kill an why fight an army when you can just kill the king or the general? The their preferred method of killing was usually gonna be through the use of daggers. So that means close up to their target. No poison drop-offs, no arrows. And often they were known for uh, being completely okay with dying or being tortured after they had committed their murder. Uh, they posed a strategic threat to Fatimid, Abbasid, and Seljuk authority alike. And for almost 300 years, we know they killed hundreds and hundreds of people, important people. The you know that era's version of VIPs. Uh, three caliphs, a uh, ruler of Jerusalem, tons of other leaders, Muslim and Christian alike. So despite the fact that we don't have direct accounts from like Hassan himself saying, I doped these guys up and brainwashed them and now we're killing everybody. We do have accounts from other people who were alive or around at the time. Um then let's let's see what you think of these. Uh, one of the first ones comes from a Spanish rabbi named Benjamin of Tudela. He traveled through Syria in 1167, so this is while the group was active. And Benjamin, not our Benjamin, the one we just mentioned, he told of this mysterious leader that existed named the Old Man in the Mountain. That's at the least the Old Man in the Mountain. That's the, what he oh. referred to him as, Old Man in the Mountain. This old man in the mountain, this Yoda-like figure, although he did not that. have that reference, who led a sect of warriors who dwelled in hidden mountain fortresses. More of a Palpatine, I think. Yeah, it is more of a Palpatine. <laughs> and it's, um, I, gosh, I can't remember which episode. I think we did one on military and drugs where we talked about um, the mountain fortresses in several parts of the region there and how important they were and then how we saw that reflected in the conflicts that the U.S. then uh, went into in places around Afghanistan and, and uh, out in the Middle East. And these these mountain fortresses that were so difficult to, if you were an invading force or someone who's trying to attack, so difficult to penetrate. But that's a an interesting 
thing, right? There's an old man in a mountain and he's he is controlling or leading a bunch of these warriors that live there. And there's also information, quite a bit more actually, that comes from Syrian Sunni chroniclers. And, you know, it's there, it exists, which is very nice, but unfortunately quite a bit of this information is biased. Again, like you have to remember that there was conflict there between the Shia and the Sunni uh, Muslims, and because of that conflict, the the Syrian Sunni population really did hate, or at least some of these prominent writers seem to show uh, anger and hatred in in the writing, or at least writing about them from you know from an enemy's perspective because they were the enemies and they probably did hate them because they did some heinous things. Yeah, they had. I mean, they had every reason. Yeah, to hate the assassins. <laughs> but it just stinks that the historical record then itself becomes this version of it, rather than well, let's you know, let's actually look at it as equal parts um, in some way, or at least in some form. Mm. And the Crusaders uh, were aware of these chronicles uh, from the from the Syrian Sunni population. They said, "Look, this is." Close enough to the truth. Someone's out here killing everybody. Uh, so let's just run hog wild with it. You know, uh, who has time to fact check? That's a problem we have in the modern day. So as a result, we have to treat these stories with skepticism. It's kind of like propaganda you would see against the Pope by their successors uh, or against royalty. A lot of or these against any army, you know, yeah. you know, more yeah, yeah. armies, the propaganda that's produced is, is intense. So. Yeah, they're going to say, you like, you can read some of these things and translations thereof and say, okay, this looks like maybe it was designed to entertain an audience or just a character assassinate the assassins themselves. And they talked about how powerful, how competent these operatives were, but then they also made these pretty crazy claims about how they became so successful. Yeah, and um, in the 12th century, William II, who was a crusader and the Archbishop of Tyre, believed that this whole old man in the mountain idea um, was true and that he commanded uh, this, this individual as many as 60,000 assassins. And he noted that they would uh, do suicide attacks. Um, they had no regard for their own safety and their own lives. They were seek and destroy, and if they don't make it out alive, so be it. It's all about the target and getting the job done. Um of this old man in the mountain figure, um, uh, William II wrote this, quote, It is their custom to install their masters and choose their chief, not by hereditary right, but solely by virtue of merit. What a novel idea, by the way. Um, disdaining any other title of dignity, they call him the elder. The bond of submission and obedience that binds this people to their chief is so strong that there's no task so arduous, difficult, or dangerous that any one of them would not undertake to perform it with the greatest zeal. And, you know, speaking back to the propaganda and the war of words and trying to smear folks, to be taken with a grain of salt, but there, was, there were reports about this group that they, God forbid, ate pork and uh, married their sisters. Which were to to unpack that uh, that quotation from William II. He's not saying meritocracy is a good thing. He's pointing it out as a criticism. He's implying they're barbaric totally. because they don't because they respect people's talents over uh, their genetic lottery, or which whatever. is 
so counterintuitive and fascinating and like a product of the time. You know what I mean? Right, what? Right. They don't have a royal pure bloodline and a lineage descending directly to God? You know, mm-hmm. for exactly. shame. <laughs> Like they hire people based on their skills. They promote them based on their skills. They eat pork and they're sleeping with their siblings. Get them like out of here. All three of those things were just terrible. And somehow the people who join up are willing to do things for their leaders. Mm. Hmm. Willing to, right, right, right. It's almost like the chance of being promoted makes people better at their jobs. That's a very, that's, please don't. <laughs> make that the main takeaway from today's episode. <laughs> but but yeah, you're right. The the fact is they that this guy noticed these people were not the type of uh, individuals to turn away from a task, even if it meant that they would be killed in completing it or captured and tortured afterwards. In some ways, this was seen as noble in this community. Uh, this So these rumors are around. It's kind of a an urban legend. It's kind of a, a conspiracy theory and there's proof in, you know, in terms of dead bodies of important people that keep showing up at weird times in history. It gets really popular and mischaracterized in Western Europe. Thanks to one of the best selling books of the medieval era, the travels of Marco Polo. It's this book alone spreads so many claims about the order. And if we read it through the lens of the modern day, it sounds like Marco is telling us the assassins are a cult. There's there's this idea that the elder, the old man in the mountain, starting with Hassan himself, has been brainwashing his followers, has been doping them with some sort of substance. Again, we don't know the exact nature of that substance, but hashishim, assassins, hashish, uh, the, the, the rumor is, or at least what he says in the book, is that the old man of the mountain is giving his followers a drugged potion during their training, right? And this is breaking down the usual human moral qualms, with things like assassination. And then before he sets them off on an assassination mission, he gives them some version of this again. So it has a lot in common, if you think about it, with uh, reports of like Manchurian candidates, people who are through systematic psychological tactics and through the ingestion of substance, uh, they're turned into zombies, you know? uh, Or, you know... uh Here's the deal. Is it, are we saying we think, at least according to that book, we think it might be hashish? Is that, and, and that is cannabis and weed, right? Mm hmm. It's, uh, it's, it's basically like, it's the stuff that's the sticky crystal stuff that sticks to the outside of cannabis when it's cured. You can shake it off and you essentially make it into like, you press it and make it into a resinous kind of material that is able to be smoked. So I've heard. But we're saying, we're saying, or the travels of Marco Polo is saying that that's the substance that made them in some way become a Manchurian candidate. Like they went out of their minds a oh, bit. And uh-huh, then it's like reefer madness. Back, <laughs> and then, huh. It's interesting, though, because so Hashishim, Hashishim is the nickname for the sect that was used by a lot of its enemies or 
uh, in casual conversation about this group. And it was believed to have derived from the Arabic word hashish. So naturally, you can see how that didn't come directly from Marco Polo's book. That was already around. But when Marco Polo mentioned this drugged potion, it cemented the image of this order in in the the zeitgeist of the time. So they were like, these are shadowy, drug-crazed fanatics. They may have powers that the average undrugged human being doesn't have. You know what I mean? And to a degree, psychologically, that might be accurate. But you could say that about any number of... Um, any number of groups who institute systemized suicide attacks. Wow. Hey, man, look, we're all the same, but I just got to assassinate you, bro. I'm sorry. Yeah. Here, <laughs> hit this first. It'll make you way more chill. <laughs> exactly. Way more crazed and assassiny. So if this yeah. is true, think about it. If this is true, it boggles the mind. Uh, how is this not brought up more often, especially during these moral panics? I love that you mentioned reefer madness, Noel, because if, again, if this is true, it's one of the best PSAs against the use of cannabis in human history, right? Like <laughs> smoke a joint and then go kill the king. Turn That's into what the, a mindless murder machine. <laughs> right, right. And I love that that rhymes. Thank you. This, the, the, there's a reason. I guess there's one reason that this didn't show up in a lot of PSAs. Uh, well, first, most people wouldn't be familiar with this story. But secondly, it turns out that Marco Polo is the primary uh, propagator for this hash claim. If you look at the sources from the Islamic world, uh, even among the assassins' enemies, even among the Seljuks and the Syrians who hated them, they don't. They don't really mention the use of hashish. So maybe a more convincing explanation for that nickname comes from the Egyptian Arabic word hashishin. And that that means something totally different. It's, it's a little silly. It means like noisy people or the troublemakers. Wasn't Marco Polo known to be a bit of a exaggerator too and possibly inventing some stuff just like out of whole cloth to make himself look like more of a badass explorer? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's true. It's a, a curated version of reality, right? But a lot of the a lot of the things he says uh, didn't bear up to scrutiny. Still, it was the best information people had at the time. So, this is why modern scholars, people like Bernard Lewis, who is a Middle Eastern historian and expert on the assassins, uh, believes that. Hashishi or Hashishem was a popular Syrian pejorative. It was a term of abuse. We're discrediting these people. You know, sure, they're effective killers, but they're drug addicts. And, you know, it's the, it's the uh, devil's tobacco. It's the jazz cigarettes and the left-hand smokes that are making them such effective monsters. So you can see already that the image people have of assassins in the modern day and the image people had of assassins when they were around uh, kind of became larger than life. They were living legends. There was a lot of disinformation about them, and we can only assume they probably used it to their credit because it, it's the kind of PR you can't buy. But this is just one of the misconceptions. So I propose we take a break for our sponsor, try our best not to get assassinated, and come back and explore some of those misconceptions uh, in just a moment. What do you guys think? 
It sounds great. Everybody cross your fingers uh, and hope that it's a CBD sponsor. <laughs> okay, cool. Let's go. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. And we've returned. Misconceptions about a group of killers in ancient Persia slash Syria. This is the slightly awkward part where we defend their character. We're not saying saying it was right. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. (laughs) But uh, so a lot of medieval Europeans knew about the order, especially once the travels of Marco Polo were published. 
uh, they believed that this group was specifically targeting Christians. So this mm. is fuel to the fire for the Crusades and wow. for other campaigns, right? Now we're now we're fighting to protect good Christian people against this threat. Make you a cog in our holy war kind of situation. Right. But this thing was not entirely true. In fact, it turns out, this happens all the time in the world of politics, it turns out these people who are like publicly enemies to each other, behind closed doors, they would not infrequently get together and be like, hey, you know what, man? I know like, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a bridge under the water. Um, are you guys high? Don't worry about it. Let's just, let's, let's work something out. Maybe we can make an alliance, you know? Well, you know, they, we're about to talk about something here coming up, which is another part of the misconceptions, but there are some realities that this group faced that makes me wonder if there was use of cannabis or some other drug like that, if it didn't have more to do with their situation and less to do with tactics for battle. It's a bit of a spoiler, but we'll, we'll keep going here. No, I think it's I think it's foreshadowing, Matt. Uh, we so we wanted to pull one example of times that Christian forces and assassin forces got together. Right in twelve fifty one, the King of France, Louis the Ninth, sent some envoys to meet the assassins to go and find the old man or the the elder of the legends, and this meeting. They took the meeting because it suited their diplomatic needs at the time. Otherwise, it seems like the sect was, they were, yeah, they were killing people when they had to or when they wanted to, but they were largely uninterested in Christians, at least at that time. Uh, they were primarily focused on all the crazy changes happening in the Muslim world and the events that had had shaped them. Uh, they were also shaping these events in turn. Uh, and that's because of their assassination tactics. Let's go to what you said, Matt, about not just the rumors of drug use, but about how these tactics came, uh, came to be. It, it wasn't so much a matter of like religious belief or what is the moral right way to kill someone. It was necessity. It was desperation. Uh, even if you take that 60,000 number in good faith, we have to remember only a few people in the assassin's order were actually killing folks, were actually going out on these missions. Hassan was outgunned and outnumbered the whole time. They Wait, he was outgunned, outmanned, <laughs> outnumbered, outplanned? I guess, yes, 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 he was very much so. Uh, and he was also... I guess everybody was outgunned at that time. Weren't they uh, using uh, knives? Probably this is like the knife age, right? Yeah, these guys are using knives. Yeah, yeah blades, they're using yeah. daggers to kill. Arrows are around, swords are around, but yeah, they're they come folk. they come out of their arms like that. That's that's how they work. Right. Yeah, they pop out from the wrist. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he knew he knew that there was no way they could wage what we would call like conventional war of the time. They didn't yeah, have the numbers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he had to resort to being more crafty. And we're talking about some James Bond level here. Guerrilla warfare, espionage, spying, um, targeted killings. 
assassinations. Um, there would be sleeper agents that would basically travel in disguise and, you know, pose as members of the community in which they were trying to infiltrate to get a better bead on their targets uh, and insert themselves into these very important strategic positions so that they could, you know, have the upper hand, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it may sound familiar. Again, like we just dropped a, a reference to the Revolutionary War, uh, a version and of a telling of the revolutionary war. Um, but yeah, it, whenever I think this is a commonality, whenever you have a small force that needs to operate effectively. Wasn't right? Hercules Mulligan a spy? Wasn't that his deal? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think past spoilers on that too, right? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think so. Well, that's, that's, oh, that's also I'm sorry. Com- no, no, don't oh. like Hercules Mulligan's a real guy. was a spy. <laughs> yeah. I, like, he if also got fire bars, dude. He could, I mean, really. Yes. You know. Yeah. Yeah. That was his first love, I think. That and being a tailor. And then, you know, third America. But the, <laughs> but think about that. You know, we always think of sleeper agents in the context of, uh, I guess, like the Cold War here in the West, right? That was the worry. Uh, deep cover sleeper agents from the U.S. going into the USSR and vice versa. Uh, but they existed in these ancient times. These guys would say, okay, we're going to kill this person. We're going to do it in two years. So tonight I'm going to travel with this caravan and I'm going to set up shop and I'm just going to, you know, I'm just, I'm going to sell trinkets and tchotchkes for a while until the time comes. And that's why I break out my drugged potion, break out my dagger, bada bing, bada boom. Mm -hmm. They did not say bada bing, bada boom. We're pretty did they say drugs potion though? Because God, I love that phrase. It just sounds like a good good time. A drugs potion. I want to. Bre- we should refer to things as potions more often, right? I, I know there's some like there are probably some craft breweries that use the phrase elixir, but let's bring back potion. Oh, remember Philip Seymour Hoffman's character in the the Paul Thomas Anderson movie The Master? Um, he was really taken by Freddie uh, Joaquin Phoenix's kind of unhinged like, you know, that character, because he would make this hooch out of rocket fuel and like, you know, f- f- photography chemicals. And and uh, and this character of Philip Seymour Hoffman's character refers to it as give me another taste of that delectable potion. Love mm. it. Or something along those potions. lines. Yeah. Bring back potions. Uh, that's OK. So. <clears throat> So we've mentioned this special core, the people who are actually doing the assassinations. They're sometimes also known as the Fedayeen. Uh, they, they were very, very effective, and they were very, very selective. The, they, the name translates to those who sacrifice themselves. They were drilled to, uh, this is the most mind-blowing part. So they weren't just drilled to accept the possibility of death or the possibility of torture, they were taught to find and eliminate their target and then wait to be discovered and then willingly submit to torture execution. That's terrible for the individual, but imagine how amazing that is for the order. Yeah, exactly. Setting a precedent that this is is what's going to happen. You know who did it and you don't get any information out of them. And you can torture them until they die. And, oh, God, how many are there? Wait, there are a lot of them like this? We'll send another one. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And and a lot of assassination, as we'll see in part two of this series, is about sending a message. 
And that's what they were doing. Uh, So we would today consider this a kind of asymmetrical warfare. Why do you fight an entire network? Why do you attempt to go against an entire system when you can pop one link in the chain, right? You can get the you can get that individual dot at the top of the command structure and you can create all the results you uh, aimed to achieve. You sow discord, uh, you make the opponent squander their resources and uh, you make them expect even more terrible things from you in the future uh, and you put them on the defensive. So there, I don't know, it can play out a hundred different ways, but One example of this comes to us in 1092, just to give you an actual snapshot of how this group successfully conspired and carried out uh, these murders. Yeah, and this example comes to us uh, from 1092. This is when this group of assassins murdered or assassinated uh, the the vizier Nizam al-Mulk. He was a powerful member of the Seljuk Sultanate. And uh, the records that that were available from that time, they say that Nizari disguised himself as a Sufi mystic and was able to infiltrate, get in close, close enough to stab this person and kill them. Pray with me, my son. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah. Or how? <laughs> it's it's intense and. and this assassination had a real domino effect, as we've been describing. Exactly, because shortly after the murder of Nizam al-Mulk, uh, who was sort of, think of him like, um, if the sultan is the president, this guy is one of the secretaries of the cabinet, kind of. So it's, it's as if a secretary of the cabinet was murdered, people are freaking out, and then a little bit later, the sultan himself, the Sejuk Sultan Malik Shah, is murdered. And at this point, historians argue back and forth over whether that second murder was the assassins, but it doesn't matter because this domino effect goes into play very quickly. The Seljuks are in chaos. Who is supposed to be in charge here? There are people wearing disguises and killing us? Like, I can't trust anyone, you know? What about that guy? How long has he been in town? Well, that that guy says he grew up here, but is that true? Uh, And then the attacks continued. The assassins started killing more rulers, generals, governors, clerics, anyone anyone who uh, was seen in their eyes as an enemy. And they seemed to be everywhere and nowhere. You know what I mean? There's not an official uniform. It could be the mystic next to you. It could be the merchant two stalls down in the marketplace. So people got really paranoid, right? Uh, They started hiring bodyguards. Even if they thought they might not be the number one target, they wanted to also wear chain mail under their clothing. Like, think about, these are terroristic tactics. You know, Ben, it's really, this is very reminiscent to the fear that permeated the United States and I would say a lot of the Western world and probably the entire world following the September 11th attacks of 2001, 
where it felt like anybody could be a target. Right. Like even folks that were separated from like big urban centers, like in middle America, really felt vulnerable in that way, where maybe there's a sense of, oh, we're away from all the big cities. We're, we're somehow safe or not on the radar. But that whole kind of comfort level really went out the window. Yeah. And for very good reason, you know, I mean, humans back then aren't that different from humans today. We just have more toys. We're talking about the assassins in the past tense, at least this group, this origin story, because eventually they did fall. They were active and effective for the better part of three centuries, and they continued after the death of their founder. The old man in the mountain died in 1124, sometime around then, and the sect continued without him. In 1138, his successor, one Buzurg Umid, died... uh, (laughs) Died as well. I'm laughing because we we know the date of his death thanks to their big fans, the Sunni chroniclers. Uh, one Sunni chronicler described his death in the following way. He says, Brzog Omid died crushed under the heel of perdition, so hell was heated by the fuel of his carcass. Oh, man, the sick burn. Uh, yeah. Very, very visual. Literally, huh? Very, very visual. Wow, what a what a wonderful... <laughs> wonderfully hateful way of referring to somebody. Yeah, it's very I spit on your grave uh, yeah. style as obituaries go. But the order continued on, and that means that the murders, especially of high-ranking Sunni figures, continued. In the 1160s, leadership fell to Hassan II, Hassan II. He took the branch in a different theological direction. Now, this is really interesting. Remember, we talked about the propaganda saying, look, Implying heavily, like, look, these guys aren't even real Muslims. They eat pork, they're marrying their siblings, don't fall for the hype. But Hassan, too, did something interesting. He said, you know, if you're a true believer, if you're willing to die for this cause, you are relieved, you are absolved from moral customs. Pray when you can, where you can. If you can't turn in the direction of Mecca, that's fine. You can do things that are regarded as openly sinful as well because you are ultimately in service of, wait for it, the greater good. Snap. I didn't realize it was the greater good that this whole thing was about. Okay, cool. Well, Well, now it changes everything, right? I mean, it's the greater good. Uh, It's not the regular good. Anyway, that... (laughs) It's the next level good. (laughs) It's the most goodest. But that's such an argument, such a a common argument for doing terrible things throughout history, in politics, in war, and all. It's, oh, it's for the greater good. Yeah, we got to murder all these people, but it's okay because, you know, the, the greater good will benefit. So don't think about this thing. Think about the big picture. It's just, it's a way of pivoting responsibility from the, you know, the people that are actually doing the bad, the bad stuff to, I don't know, like it's, it's, it's interesting because the greater good too is also very, very subjective, right? What that even means. Yes. But why, why, why isn't it the greatest good? The goodest? Shouldn't it be the greatest? Why isn't it called the best? It's for the best. People do say that too, don't they? It's for the best, best. but it means something different, doesn't it? For the best just means, well, (laughs) come see, come saw. Yeah, it's just, that's just the way it went. It was for, it was for the best. It's just, it's it's a lie we tell ourselves, which I believe so is the greater good. Yeah. I mean, I, maybe we should, maybe we should think about it as, we'll just make up a word here. We'll churchify a little. Maybe we should think about it as uh, the goodosity, 
the speed and direction of a given good, right? Because <laughs> that, yes. So, you know, your mileage may vary in terms of where you, what direction you feel is good and what speed you feel is good. That's a weird one, but it is important for this episode. This period, you know, like, hey, uh, throw some of the rules out of the window. We can cut some corners because ultimately we have to remember we're the good guys. Uh, this is probably what, But are we the goodest guys? But are we the goodest guys? What's our goodosity? Uh, but th- this probably influenced Marco Polo. As a matter of fact, it certainly influenced what he wrote later. And then Europeans read that and it didn't matter. Remember, we print retractions in the back of the paper, right? It didn't matter that later the sect went back to a more... Um, a more strict or austere interpretation of Islam, the damage was done. And everybody who didn't like these folks, Christian and Muslim alike, was able to say, well, are they really some sort of religious warriors? They don't even bother following the rules at home, you know, which is a great argument to make. And that's that's part of why no one came to help in the 13th century when Mongol invaders uh, breached the stronghold. They breached Alamut Castle in 1256, and they put an end to the Nazari, uh, the assassins, at least. At least. That's what, that's what we believe, right? Exactly. Guys, do you have any favorite assassin sects from pop culture, from video games, from movies, TV series, books? Like, I really like the Faceless Men from uh, Game of Thrones. I think that's one of the coolest assassin sects in in literature in a lot of ways. I'm wondering if you guys have any other cool references for folks to check out. For me it's the Elder Scrolls one. Ben, remind me what that is. The um the, the Dark Brotherhood. Yeah, Dark Brotherhood. I dig that. Yeah, they're great. They have the same taste in logos as us as well. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, then there's of course the Assassins and Assassin's Creed. They're more of like an anti hero kind of vibe. Uh and then I would say Faceless Men is great assassin groups. Uh, I guess you could say, you, you know, it's weird. Uh, is is James Bond an assassin? I mean, yeah, well, right? He, he, he does, he is. He contains multitudes. He, I he like kills the, when, yeah. He definitely yeah. does assassinate people, for sure. Yeah. yeah, I like the Kingsman's vibe. You know what I mean? I like, I like the gadgets and the suits. Uh, and this these are all, these are all cultural artifacts or cultural descendants of this real-life group, the Assassins, because even after they were wiped out, the word assassin had passed into the common parlance in the 13th and 14th centuries, and you can trace it through fiction and entertainment all the way to the modern day. And I think, is that is that part of what you're getting at here, Noel? A little bit. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, for sure. It's certainly something that is has captured the imagination of, of folks that are into this sort of thing, you know, fantasy and fiction, um, because there is this, this sense of like, like you said, Matt, the Assassin's Creed character is almost an anti-hero, but at the same time, you root for them, you know, so the assassins don't always have to be the bad guy. Uh, but one thing I think that's interesting about assassins that we haven't really touched on is that by nature, they're sort of. A, not amoral, but like they, they are a tool, especially the, the faceless men. They don't take a stance politically. They just do whatever they're paid to do, which I think is a really interesting facet of being an assassin. It's like we talked about having um, a political motivation or, you know, some zealot 
you know, zealotry kind of driven ideology, but aren't assassins usually kind of just a tool of whoever's paying them and they don't really have a stance? Well, see, that's where you bring things like uh, the assassins that, they, that exist in John Wick in the John Wick universe. Right. Where that's a good, just, that's a, that's a, I love that. I love those. But Great. yeah, you, you, you pay for a job, right? I mean, they're hit men, right? More so than political tools or uh, something like that. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I don't we know. started I think off it, the episode talking about semantics, and I think we're still hovering in this gray area of like, what is an assassin? What is a hitman? We know what a murderer is. We know what manslaughter is or human murder. What would you call it? Well, it's it's <laughs> human death, but but it's it. it's defined. I mean, it is pretty clearly defined, at least in the common usage and English usage as a political killing, right? I mean, right. Or, in, or in killing of importance. In, in the guess. modern day, you know, but think about like, it's it's weird because the motivation can be spread across multiple individuals, right? I am the owner and CEO of United Kumquats Global Incorporated LLC, whatever. And I am so tired of the government that uh, of the government that rules the land where most of my kumquat plantations are, and so I am motivated to kill them and have them replaced with a, a, a government that's more pro-kumquat or pro-my pro organization. More sympathetic so, to the kumquat lobby. Right. Know? And so mm -hmm. my, motivation, uh, my motivation is financial gain and power. So I enlist the help of a, let's say, a religious sect or offshoot of secessionist in that country, and they kill the prime minister or the president for me, they may be doing it because they're getting paid. They may be doing it because they believe their religion will be better represented by a different government. So uh, the thing is, at the end of the day, the prime minister is dead and the villains walk away happy. Yeah, and un United Kumquat is uh, victorious. I, I got really, I felt uncomfortable every time we said that word. I, I love uh, it. Like, <laughs> isn't that like a, is that a tiny orange? Isn't that what a kumquat is? It's like a little tiny a, orange. What fruit. do you even do with them? Do you just eat them with the skin on and everything? Like, it seems like an awful lot to peel such a tiny fruit. I would imagine you would just pop it right in your mouth. It's about, it's it like the size of an olive. Yeah. But exactly. it's like, it, it, it's citral. It, it, it looks like an orange in shape and color. Um, I don't know. I just chose it as a memorable word. I love it. No, it's a beautiful word. So could we maybe say that not all hits are assassinations, but all assassinations are hits, perhaps? That's kind of what yeah. we said at the, the top. Okay, uh, just, just, to, just, yeah, just, to, just to leave it with that for my own, you know, uh, cl clarity. I think this is so fascinating, but I think it's interesting how there's that intersection because it all depends on the prominence and perhaps the, uh, the end result, uh, you know, as to w whether it, it qualifies as an assassination. Yeah, and speaking of end results, here we are. We know that the military might of this group, or what, it, or the uh, assassinatory might of this group, faded over time. But it's important to note the faith itself survived, and and doesn't have anything to do with assassination. So we want to be very careful not to vilify this religious community. You can find Ismaili in 25 different countries today, at least. Central and South Asia, Africa, the Middle East. The reputation of the 
group we refer to as assassins nowadays. I think we built a pretty good case. It was uh, it was founded on some exaggerations by their enemies, right? Some propaganda, but their tactics were effective. And it's strange to realize that such a small group of people could have such a profound impact on history. Uh, more importantly, it's disturbing to realize just how much influence and inspiration they gave to their imitators ever since. And that's that's where we end today's episode. How much of an impact do you think, fellow conspiracy realists, that the assassins had on the world in their time? And how much of that impact, if any, uh, remains with us in the modern day? That's that's a great question. And can't wait to hear what you all think. Uh, this is going to conclude this episode of Assassins. But guess what? There's another one coming. We're going to delve into more modern day Assassins. We're going to get closer to the present. Are there still people out there in groups that are specifically designed and operated to commit assassinations? I bet you know the answer to that at least a little bit. We're going to tell you all about it next episode. In the meantime, write us. Tell us your favorite assassin groups or individuals, lone wolf assassins from pop culture. We'd love to hear all about it. You can find us on the usual social media spots. I think our preferred place on the internet, uh, our, our happy place, is the Here's Where It Gets Crazy Facebook group. You can join the conversation there. I'm sure this is going to uh, generate some great memes and posts from you and your fellow conspiracy realists. So check that out. Here's Where It Gets Crazy on Facebook. Just name one of anybody involved in the show. Some reference to let us know that you're a real human being and you are in. And if you don't care to communicate via social media, unless you use really obtuse means like the uh, uh, Lake City Quiet Pills guys, uh, then go ahead and just give us a phone call. You know, loop Ma Bell into this conversation. Uh, hit us up. We're one stdwytk You've got three minutes uh, you'll just hear a voicemail and uh, it'll set you up. Let us know your thoughts about anything related to this episode, suggestions for a future episode you think your fellow listeners would enjoy. And most importantly, let us know whether or not you are comfortable with us using your name and or voice on air. Don't forget to head over to youtube.com slash conspiracy stuff. It's the, the channel that's been around for many, many a year. And we are uploading videos again with these conversations with our faces um you know hopefully you're into that we we think it's okay it's uh, our alamut <laughs> castle yeah um well please subscribe let other people know if if you know share that stuff out if you if you feel inclined one other thing if you want to and you feel inclined please leave a review on apple podcast for this show it really does help us out makes us a little more visible to uh, to everybody else and uh, if you don't want to do any of that stuff but you still want to connect with us send us a good old fashioned email we are conspiracy at iheartradio.com Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio.
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. 